Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I've got Andrea Falcioni with me for part two of a two-part series. The first one was on codes of conduct, and the second is going to be all about your compliance policies. So, um, we don't need to, to do any pleasantries, Andrea, I think. <laughs> the, the team already knows you. So, um, we're, we're going to get straight to business. But before we get into uh, the policy side of the, the business and nitty-gritty there, um, I'd love to hear more about the success story of Rethink Compliance's symbiotic relationship engaging mothers returning to the workforce. Will you share a little bit about the business model and how it offered benefits for both your company and the individuals within the labor force? Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. So, hi. Again, thank you for having me. Um, I'd be happy to do that. So, Rethink Compliance... um, uh, you know, is a startup company. The organization has been around now for almost five years, um, and now we're up to fourteen employees. Um, and so we continue to grow, which is exciting. Even in the COVID nineteen mm. era, we've continued to grow, which is wow. knocking. I'm knocking on wood. Um, so mm-hmm. that's exciting for us. Um, but particularly in the beginning, so Kirsten Liston is our is our founder, and and in mm-hmm. the beginning, like she, I mean, this was bootstraps, right? She was just out there, you know, knocking on doors and and trying to get you know this company started and. And obviously needed people to help her do the work, right? You can't, um, you know, we say at our startup company, like everybody mops the floor, um, but, you know, she needed help. And so, um, but she didn't have a lot of budget and she didn't have a lot of resources to be paying people full-time salaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And she knew um, a number of of, um, women who we had worked, we all had worked with previously, who were super, super talented, who still wanted to continue working, but certainly not um, full-time and frankly, in some cases, not even really like what we would think of as quote unquote part-time hours. And like, Mm. where do you find a job where a company is going to say, sure, you want, you know, seven to 10 hours a week. Like that's few and far between that you're going to find a company that's going to be supportive of that. So, um, so it just really, it it worked out so well because, um, you know, those, those um, mothers who are raising children, like were able to like stay, stay, keep a foot in the door and keep working and contributing not only to their households, but also, you know, their, the the development of their minds and blood, right. And all of that. And yet, and, and kept like our, um, you know, our, our, um, cost center, frankly, down. Um, Mm. and you know, we have, have since um, you know um, we, we since have have shifted um, a number of ways that we've we've approached this. We have some full time folks now, um, but frankly, even during COVID nineteen, like we were able to say, okay, we have to dial back on some on some people's hours, um, and you know everybody sort of um, shared in the pain. Not that COVID's over, but you know shared in the pain in the beginning of this to make sure we could keep the lights on. Um, so it really like it, it was just such a, a smart and savvy um, you know approach that Kirsten took and and it, as you said like really symbiotic like helped helped rethink and also really I think supported um you know the 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 women that that are here working with us it's wonderful that's what we're all about at this podcast so <laughs> awesome <laughs> please keep it up yeah we will <laughs> <laughs> So um, I'd like to start off on the policies conversation by asking um, about the different focuses for codes versus policies. I mean, the two are guidance documents, aren't they? Why can't we just approach them in the same way? 
Yeah. So I guess what I would say, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I would love to see organizations move more, like more in the direction of what a co- what codes are turning into for their policies. Um, I think there is a real reluctance to do that um, just on like sort of a risk basis, right? At the end of the day, most people that own these policies, particularly corporate compliance related policies, you know, a lot of them are lawyers, truthfully, right? And so mm-hmm. um, the concept of not having like, you know, every single thing that needs to be in a policy and, and you know, reciting what the law is, depending on the risk area, like is very, very scary, I think, to a lot of mm-hmm. policy owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, thought of like, well, I mean, as long as we've put this on paper and we've got it out there, then like we can hold people accountable to it. And like, Sure, you can, but the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, if, if you are talking about a, and I, this is not a joke, we have a client who had a 46 page um, anti-bribery, anti-corruption policy. Nobody mm. is reading a 46-page policy, mm. right? Um, that we, we have helped that client now move um, away from that and, and have shrunk that policy, um, you know, dramatically in terms of number of pages. Mm. But, but point being that, like, I just think that there's a real, like, reluctance because of, of a fear of what if we don't have everything in there. Um, so I, I, I think that's the, the biggest piece of it. But, you know, I do know some organizations that are starting to move towards like more design elements and, and more, more like learning aids, like decision trees and a conflicts of interest policy, mm-hmm. for example, kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just limiting those kinds of things to your code. Um, when, as you said, you know, on our last podcast, like people may not be going in the code, they might be going to directly to the policies. So mm-hmm. um, I think, I, I think taking that different approach, you know, can be very um, useful and, and more companies should start to do it. Perfect. Similar question to last time for you. How frequently should we, should we be revising our compliance policies? <laughs> That's a little bit of a loaded question. So, so and let me, talk, let me explain why. So, we work with a lot of organizations who come to us with this like massive inventory of policies and they mm. look at us with like, you know, like d- deer in the headlights and they're like, um, can you help us? Right. Because, because again, nobody is reading all these policies. Right. And so, and then we help them like narrow it down and combine policies and, and do all yeah. the things that you should do. So, so I think, you know, frankly, doing a review, a, an inv- a policy inventory review to say like, like, you know, make some sense of what you have. Um, every organization should be doing that. Um, and then, mm. you know, doing reviews again, obviously, um, just like with regard to code, anytime that there's like a legislative change or, you know, or change in your risk profi- profile or, you know, some new technology comes out like social media, as I mentioned last time, um, you know, you, then you, you need to, to sort of reassess your policies. Um, but I also encourage like, as, you know, take a look at what you've got so that you don't end up in the situation where you've got hundreds and hundreds of policies that nobody is ever looking at. Right. <laughs> right? Well, don't other, get there. Yeah. The, the other thing is, is, you know, not updating them. So you might have seven different versions right. out of your various anti-corruption policies and someone's, you know, doing, trying to do the right thing and they've gone to, to look at the anti-corruption policy, but they're looking at something that was drafted in 1999 and it's been updated you know a handful of times since so making sure that when you do that inventory that you're sorting out your versions because of Mm -hmm. course even if you have a um you're looking at um something pretty nifty technology wise that controls your versions and tracks them beautifully for you um probably your policies from 1999 aren't like that so um it's important to to, to figure out, you know, you may not actually have 
2000 policies because there could be some duplicates of versions in there. And um, my tip for this exercise would be that forever, for who, whoever you've got doing this project um, in terms of the, 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 the sort of stock inventory of, of policies, um, that is, that's a tough job and I would recommend incentivizing with pizza. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I, I will tell you, like, I know some organizations have people that, like, their whole job is, like, you know, dealing with policies. But I would die. Like, that would be, like, <laughs> the worst job ever. No, thank you. Oh, um, the, oh I know. Can you imagine? He's a um, simple person right now whose job is compliance policies. I know. Policies. Sorry. Well, they're probably <laughs> agreeing with you. Um. <laughs> probably. The other thing that I would say is, like, mm. is in addition to sort of redundancies, like, uh, we find inconsistencies all the time because... Oh. There's no yeah. like cross policy looking, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so there, there's just so there's so much when it comes to that. And purge, my goodness, purge. Honestly, mm. like you like get rid of the old ones. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have links to them. Like, you know, that again, back to you know, make friends with IT and talk to them early and often, like mm. purge. <laughs> mm, for sure. Excellent. Um, so once we've decided that a review is in order, where should we start? And I guess we've sort of We've, we've begun that by talking about doing that inventory. Um, and what are the key considerations to bear in mind during the process? Um, I think, you know, key considerations are obviously like understanding your risk profile. Um, you know, frankly, like establishing a business case, like do we even need this policy? Right. Um, right. It's I, not I mean, a bad question. <laughs> right. Do we even need this policy? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, is there another policy that is like essentially covering the same thing mm-hmm. where we could cover this particular topic? And that's what we do a lot when we work on these projects is that, you know, we look at this big inventory and we're like, okay, we can, we can call this down to something much more manageable because mm-hmm. we can combine certain things, certain things you don't need at all. Some things are like super outdated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, so I, I think that's a, that's a big piece of it. I also would highly recommend that, um, you know, you mentioned you could have a fancy tool that helps you with versioning and all that, like um, policy management and coming up with a policy management process, which Mm. we like to affect, you know, affectionately call policy and policies here in the compliance world. Um, (laughs) But like actually then holding people accountable to that and making sure mm. that like that's the way policies are created or disposed mm. of or you know or, or you know decommissioned whatever um, um i think can then, then help you not get to that point again right like mm. once you clean this up like you know um institute some serious policy management protocols and follow them and again that cleanup that is whew, that is tough. Um, mm-hmm. So again, you're going to have to go beyond pizza at this point, um, especially if you're a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, my company is very large, and so um, and we we did a review actually across like beyond the compliance ones. So we went across the board, wow. um, and that was that was a big project. So staff up accordingly. It is not the kind of thing that you can just do. Oh, it's a quiet Friday afternoon. Might work on this for a bit. If you are a big company and you've got a lot of policies um, that could be lurking on different parts of your intranet, mm-hmm. um, it's going to take uh, some real dedicated time and it may be worth hiring someone on a temporary basis to, to work through all that content. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I agree with all of that. Awesome. Um, so what level of complexity are we aiming for in terms of how we're writing the document? 
<laughs> Keep it simple, stupid. Honestly, I mean, and like mm-hmm. that's. I, but uh, I want really encourage our clients to like write to you know a, a ninth grade level. I mean, yeah. like, you yeah. want to make this understandable, shorts. Mm-hmm. And then, frankly, if you if you're gonna be translating, like the shorter the sentences, the better. <laughs> no complex <laughs> yeah. sentences, right? Honestly, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, right. Um, you make sure that you're that you are not using colloquialisms that are very U.S. centric. Again, if these are going to be global policies. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite stories ever is, you know, a lot of us use like speak up as, you know, as part of uh, our, and, and we love speak up. I love speak up as a, as a moniker. Well, it's we idiomatic. Will- it's a right. language. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So like th- th- we were working on some translation for some company. I don't even remember what the language was, but, and like mm-hmm. the, basically the, the in-country reviewers are like, yeah, that's translating into, into talk loudly. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> right. If you scream, you'll be compliant. <laughs> exactly. So like thinking about those kinds of things, I think from a global perspective are important too, but yeah, I mean like keep this simple, keep it short Mm. Nobody is reading a 46-page policy. Um, mm. So again, no complex sentences. So I, I really, th- I, I firmly, firmly believe in that. Mm. So do I. We're, we're completely aligned. Um, what is the tone and message for policies? So, you know, I mean, I think that that unlike a code, like policies, it's it's hard to, you know, be sort of kumbaya in policies. Mm. Honestly, it is. Now, mm. I think you want to be as, uh, you know, sort of as friendly as you can be, but ultimately right. at the end of the day, these things are going to say like, look, this is what, what you're allowed to do. And this is what you're mm. not allowed to do. Um, and here's your associated procedure that tells you that explains how to get there. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not going to be a fun, friendly document, like a code mm. I fr- frankly think kind of can be. Um, yeah. But, but again, you know, keep the tone as, as sort of, um, it's certainly not legalistic. I mean, you just can't mm-hmm. have a legalistic tone. You just can't. Nobody understands that. I mean, I'm a lawyer mm-hmm. and I barely understand mm-hmm. that. You know, so like, um, you know, staying away from that is, I think, incredibly important. Like, this is all about making these things usable, making sure mm-hmm. people understand what is expected of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so simple, simple, simple. Yeah, perfect. And and you just hit on um, my next point, uh, which is that we know that lengthy legalistic policies are unlikely to make the bedside reading pile for most of our colleagues. Where's the balance between giving colleagues enough detail to be successful and making them dread having to open the pages of a policy? Oh, I mean, I think that depends on the risk area, honestly, right? And like, mm-hmm. and and really is probably very dependent on on your. Um, on your uh, industry too. I mean, certainly there are some areas where, you know, things have to, and, and you mentioned Mary that you guys did a, not just a global compliance policy mm. review, but you know, like your information se- security policies. I mean, whoo, like those mm. things are long and detailed. You know? <laughs> I mean, like, oh my Lord of mercy. And do we think anybody's really reading them? No, they're not. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, so, so I think that that balance can really be very hard. Um, but it really is about, I think, you know, thinking very hard about what is it that employees have to know, not what Mm. is it that I want to tell them or Mm. what is it that I think they, you know, have to know, but what is it that, that they need to know in order to be able to do their jobs and, and, and be compliant with the law or, you know, or, or our internal standards. Yeah. So essentially distilling the message and then explaining it in the clearest, most concise way possible. And the length of that is going to vary from topic to topic and risk area to risk area. However, if you're sticking with the KISS um, method, that should hold you in good stead. Would that be fair as a summary? 
I think that is fair as a summary. Yeah. And it's interesting to see like how different companies, you know, I mentioned this 46 page policy, which I can't get off of. Um, but, but we're, you know, I've had another client <laughs> who like, you know, we've, re- we've redrafted their anti-corruption, anti-bribery policy, and it's like four pages, right? I mean, that's pretty, mm. four pages is pretty that's, brief and that includes quick. some FAQs, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And, and the general counsel who, who to his credit is like, you know, trying to be like, you know, trying to sort of take this organization to the next level. is like, does this policy have to be this long? And then we find ourselves in this <laughs> We're like, well, I mean, I think so. You know, like I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much more, bre- you know, how much more brevity we can, you know, um, accomplish here. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So yeah. it's interesting to see how how different, um, you know, organizations approach it. But yeah, I mean, as brief as you can be without losing what you need. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, and how do visual aids and design best help cement understanding for our colleagues? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, uh, lo- uh, lots of white space, which then, of course, makes a policy longer, right? Which <laughs> I think was like part of the problem yeah. with this other guy that I was talking about. But, um, but you know, l- white space, uh, making sure the font, we did have a situation where we were like, oh, this font is too small. Like, so, you, you know, yeah. making it like sort of easier, literally on the eye to consume, mm-hmm. um, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, I think any kind of learning aid that you can include. So I mentioned before, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, uh, like a decision tree and a conflict yep. of interest policy. Um, frequently asked questions kind yep. of thing. Um, I think, you know, and, and, and examples of where yeah. people have tripped up. Right. And yeah. sometimes we as compliance professionals think, Oh my God, that's so obvious. Right. But it's not, yeah. um, yeah. and it's not to the everyday employee. Um, and so like giving them those, those sort of like real practical examples of like what's okay and what's not okay. Um, yeah. I think it can be really helpful. And actually, it's in those moments where we think, oh, my goodness, that's so obvious. That's when you need to put in an example right there. Mm -hmm. That's your sweet spot because it means that it's something that you know um, has been a risk problem for you, right? Like it wouldn't be obvious to you if it hadn't been a problem in the past. So every time you think to yourself that is super obvious, that's when you need to stick in a learning aid. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, SOPs, uh, when and how should they be deployed? So interesting. So, you know, I think we, we've evolved a little bit from like every policy has to have a, 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 an accompanying procedure. Um, mm. And I, I just don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. Now, mm. that being said, I've also um, encountered a lot of sort of conflating policies with procedures mm. um, and combining the two. And look, like, I feel like one could argue like there's a, there could be good points to that, right? You mm. want fewer document um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but again, then you get to the, the the length of a document and whether somebody's actually using it. Mm. Um, you know, from my perspective, I think you, you need a procedure when there's like literally, okay, in order to follow this policy, you need to, to, to do these seven different things, right? Mm. Um, that, that might include using a particular system at the company, filling out a particular form, um, mm. talking to a particular group, whatever it is, that whatever mm. the process is. Um, and so, I think, you know, sort of sitting down and actually like, you know, doing, um, you know, one of those sort of process charts. Like if you mm-hmm. can't, if you can't imagine a process chart, then you don't mm-hmm. need a pro- you don't need an SOP. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Okay. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think, I think that's a good exercise. And frankly, if you do that, then maybe like that could sort of be what your SOP looks like. That's easy. Mm-hmm. That can be easier on the eye. It's a, you know, it's a, um, not a decision tree, but it's a, you know, it mm-hmm. shows you what, you know, how, um, how you're going down the line here, if you will. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, that's what I would suggest for that. Not every pr- policy needs a procedure mm-hmm. um, and, and, and think hard, hard about whether this is really a procedure, you know, are you yeah. going a process? Are you going from, from point A to point B? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about when deciding to draft a guideline instead of a policy or an SOP? And, and for anyone who isn't familiar with SOPs, one, you're kind of lucky, uh, and two, it's standard operating procedure. Yeah, yeah, sweet. I should have said that. Yeah, so um, I have mixed emotions about guidelines. Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah. I really do. Yeah, I have yeah. mixed emotions about guidelines. So I feel like guidelines can be really useful, again, for purposes of like specific examples mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and, and almost like thinking of a guideline as a learning aid. But mm-hmm. like, like, do you need the extra document? Like, can't you accomplish <laughs> that in in your policy or, Mm -hmm. you know, or in your training or in your communication or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, do you need to, because what I find is that some of the stuff we talked about before, the redundancies, the inconsistencies, like, like a lot of times the guidelines, like people forget about them, then they're not updated. I've, I'm in the middle of a situation now where like nobody's even at a client, nobody's even raising their hands, like to say, oh, I own those social media guidelines wait, what? Like who created this thing? Mm, So, mm -hmm. so I do have mixed emotions about guidelines. Honestly, Mm. I do. I feel like there's a different way to, to, to get the information out there necessarily Mm -hmm. than yet another piece of paper that probably very few people are reading. Mm. (laughs) Yep. Fair enough. And any, any other points regarding the difference between guidelines, policies and SOPs or actually, I think you, you pretty covered off the pretty much covered off the SOP versus policy versus partnering together in the last question. Mm. So I'll move on. Um, should companies make their compliance policies publicly available on their website, like their code and hotline information? Um, so uh, first of all, I don't think all companies include their hotline information other than the fact that it's in their codes. So but, Good um, grief. Yeah, it's right. best practice people. Right. Come on. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and, and actually encourage third parties that you work with to use it too. Um, but mm-hmm. so uh, I think policies should be publicly available. I do. I really think mm. that they should be publicly available. Again, it's very much of like a risk, you know, wait mm-hmm. a minute, do we really want this out there? Like, what if it's not exactly the same as, you know, the <laughs> XYZ next door, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, does, you know, will this give the plaintiff's lawyers or the government investigators, uh, you know, a roadmap to, uh, yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's just all the lawyers talking and wringing their hands, right? It says, mm. says, says a lawyer who talks a lot and wrings their hands. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I think they should be publicly available, you know, because frankly, then it becomes even easier for your employees or third parties mm. to the extent that some of your policies are applicable to third parties to f- access them and find them. Um, mm. right. So like the more that you can get eyeballs on them, I think the better. Um, and mm. I don't think you should be afraid of like letting the world know, you know what? We have an anti-harassment policy. I mean, in the U.S. you have to, but you know what I mean? Like, it, like that, that's not a bad thing. Um, mm. But I would say most organizations do not do that. You click on that link and that code and you're coming up against a firewall for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I actually worked with them. Um, we did some work with a public university yeah. um, and all of their um, policies are required to be publicly available. Um, and it was just so refreshing. Like even now, I'm like, mm. oh, I wonder what their policy says. And I go to their, I go to their, <laughs> to their policy management tool, which is open and available to everybody, you know? Um, and I just think, I just think it's, it's, it's so much, it's so useful to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so internally we need to make our policies, uh, accessible and readily retrievable. Uh, so that's definite. Um, so let's talk now about policy management, which we've already touched on. Uh, it's certainly not the sexiest topic in the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. but if you get this wrong, it brings a world of pain further down the track. So what's your advice on this? 
Um, so, so it's interesting. It, it really, I hear so many different stories, right? I hear like, <laughs> oh, we use SharePoint and it's like, and it's great. And it totally works for our organization, mm. organization. And, you know, it's searchable. And then you hear like, we use SharePoint. It's not searchable. It doesn't work. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, in terms of a tool, I have, don't have like an opinion as to sort of mm. what the best tool is. What I will mm. say though, is that I do think that having a tool is um, very powerful mm-hmm. um, because there's nothing worse than, wait a minute, is it on this part of the internet? Is it here? Is it there? Like, I don't know mm-hmm. where to find this. Why are some mm-hmm. policies in this place and some policies somewhere else? You know, I think all policies at an organization, regardless of whether they're compliance policies or their operational policies or their finance policies or their HR policies, I think they should all be in the same place, right? Mm-hmm. There's one place for an employee to go to find a policy <laughs> regardless mm-hmm. of what kind it is. That's, I truly believe that. Um, and then the other thing is, is that unfortunately, Unfortunately, I do know that a lot of the policy management tools are not sort of available to all employees, right? They're available mm. only to like the policy owners and mm-hmm. auditors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me seems, uh, that seems a little, that's just weird to me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you, everybody should have a workable policy repository that's searchable and, and that means everybody needs to be able to access it at the, in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I did allude earlier to, from a policy management perspective, like actually having a process enforcing that process um, and 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 taking a critical eye to do we really need this policy the one that somebody might want to institute now or frankly the ones that we you know even currently have um, so mm. so those are some of my sort of pet peeves if you will about policy mm. management the things that I'd like to see companies do better yeah and my advice on this one and it's it's sort of perennial advice for me across the board um, when dealing with vendors is um uh, get recommendations from peers in compliance and you know ask them to tell them about tell you about their experiences with their policy management tool um, whenever you go into a, a meeting with a salesperson they're going to be pitching you um, you know the most beautiful version of their product but they're not going to tell you the pragmatic problems for the most part I think there are you know that that's a generalization there are certainly a lot of um, fantastic uh, people in the compliance vendor world who are very open and transparent and and able to speak with you very honestly. But for the most part, I think getting a recommendation from someone who's using a tool every single day and is able to give you their experience and then talk with um, other associates in compliance who are able to share theirs, uh, that'll be really helpful to combine with the demo type information that you're getting from vendors. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The other thing is don't underestimate the power of a good UI user interface mm. um, because I have seen so many organizations that will invest heavily on a tool that they're hoping is eventually will be even enterprise-wide and then it's mm-hmm. they're so hard to use mm. and so not user-intuitive that people are like, forget it, I'm not doing it. And then, I'm, you know, and then a certain set of policies is now on this, you know, in this part of the internet and some of it's on this on the policy in the policy management tool and um, mm. so I think do, do not underestimate that a lot of these tools were built for something other than policy management and so there mm. is, there's a lot of like kind of trying to jam a, I would I'll say a, a round peg in an yeah. oval hole right um, and so I, from my perspective may, is it, it should be easy to use and intuitive to use or people aren't going to use it 
Yeah, that's a good point. And we have to remember that you're on the back foot from the get-go because anything like this is going to be one extra system and login mm-hmm. that they're going to need to remember, one, how to find the link to it, and two, what their login credentials are. So, you know, you've already made it difficult. And then to, to add to that um, uh, uh, something that's not user-friendly, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure or yeah, at, at least <laughs> lack of buy-in. Right. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and and there's nothing worse than investing in, you know, a software system that then nobody wants to use. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. Um, so once we've got our revised policy shining and we know where we're going to put it, we need to get the word out to the business. Tell us about what makes a successful communications campaign to get staff to review the revamped policy. So that's a really good question. Um, I think there you, you again have to do like a little bit of a cost benefit analysis, right? So mm-hmm. like not every policy requires an attestation. Not every policy necessarily requires a mm-hmm. like massive enterprise wide communication. Um, uh, so so I think starting with really taking a, a a hard look at and assessing what do what what are our communication needs, our attestation needs, those kinds of things. Um, but you know. Again, I, I'm going to say it again, short, short, short. Like, you know, you got to yeah. let, let's assume it's a policy that you do need to let people know we have a new policy because we've changed, I'm making this up, we, we changed our gift limit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or or we've decided we no longer are going to support the giving of corporate gifts or whatever, right? So like a massive change. Um, and so it has to get out there. Like um, communications that are short and to the point, communications that are engaging um, so that people will remember, oh, wait a minute, like we, we have a new policy. I'll never forget um, at my my prior job, a new policy came out that actually was like applicable across the board at the organization. Um, mm-hmm. And I took, you know, I'm in compliance. So like I took it very seriously. We have this new policy, right? Yes. All right. And, but, and like so many of my colleagues were like, what? Like there's a new policy? You know, and I'd be like, how do you not know that? You're the boss. Like, um, and that was because, you know, they wasn't communicating very well, truthfully. Um, so, you know, engaging short communications that are, and frankly, you sort of, in, in some ways, depending again on, on, on what your analysis is of your needs here, um, that sometimes you can't communicate enough, truthfully, Mary, right? Like we think, we mm-hmm. probably all think to ourselves, oh my God, like, again, this seems so obvious. How many times do I have to tell these people this? But like, mm. how many times do you hear like, oh, what, like what training? Like, I didn't get any training. You're like, yeah, you did. Like, yeah, we, you, so, you know, again, try to be as impactful as you can in as well, while taking up sort of the least amount of your, your, um, you know, your audience's time, I think. Yeah. That, that point really brings me back to, um, one of my biggest learnings in compliance, which is there is no common denominator in terms of your audience is going to pick up different things at different times. Mm-hmm. And you could say a message a million times and someone still doesn't know one who you are mm-hmm. and two, um, what your message was. So I totally agree that over communicating um, is not really a thing. Um, compliance fatigue, I, I do think is a thing. Totally. And a way to, to combat that is to change up your messaging and to make it, you know, fun. Your, your video, I mean, your communication could be, a video of a scenario being played out that's applicable to the policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, someone who's stuck at the border of a country not being let in, they're told their, their visa is incorrect and they think they're being asked for a facilitation payment, essentially. And, you know, showing that kind of quick scenario is a way to introduce it. So even the non-Andreas of the world who aren't excited about this newly introduced policy are going to go, oh, yeah, there was that video I saw. I didn't quite right. get it, but I remember it. I remember right. it, watching it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, nothing, you know, there's nothing like a real life story, honestly, yeah. right. Um, yeah. to, to, to hit it home and like, Oh my God, that could happen to me, you know? Yeah. Um, like, Whoa. And, and sometimes it even can, the, the, if the communications are good, they can elicit like, Oh my gosh, I've been doing that wrong this whole time. Like I should, get, you know, wow. Um, which, which is, you know, can, can, can be powerful. So. Mm. All right, none now, of us are perfect, Mary. I don't know if you know. Me. Oh well, I'm in compliance. Even so. me, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's sort of one of my um, ways to to relate better to, to to colleagues outside of compliance is you know to explain times when I've really been tested in terms of making it a tough ethical decision. Because just because we're in this area, it doesn't mean we're any less human. I'm still going to have the same kind of. Um, you know, torn thoughts either way if I'm in a conflict of interest situation. So um, yep. I'm quite open about those. Um, and uh, unless I, you know, one day end up paying a bribe or something, I'm going to continue to be <laughs> you know, very transparent about um, those types of things. Oh, absolutely. And I, as I am exactly the same way. Um, and I, there are several stories that I often use to illustrate, you know, things that have happened where like I've ratted on myself. Like I've picked up, like, <laughs> like, the, you know, the, the helpline and been like, hi, I made a mistake. Like I didn't do it on purpose with like this happened and then like, help me now what? Right. Mm-hmm. And then what that ends, what that, the, that story, particular story, which I won't get into the gory details, but you know, I was treated with respect. I was treated mm-hmm. fairly. I was crying on the phone. They were super oh. nice to me yeah right so yeah. um and then guess what that meant that meant that the next time somebody came to me with a compliance related issue i would say to them you know what honestly i had this really great experience with the, mm-hmm. with the helpline here mm-hmm. so like pick up the phone call somebody in compliance call the helpline whatever it was um and then again i mentioned this before i became like an ambassador for you mm-hmm. know the program if you will mm-hmm. um and i i think those kinds of real life stories are are, are awesome um and yeah. this, uh, and such a way to you know get people to be like okay you know if i make a mistake or you know it's not it's it's not always people being bad because they're being bad. Sometimes they don't know the rules or sometimes like, you yeah. know, they just make a mistake, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one more question for you. And that is if there was one sweeping change you could magically make to every company's policies to make them more user-friendly, what would it be? I'm going to be, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Mm-hmm. They need to be shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. I've said it a lot. They need to be shorter. <laughs> Yeah, I, and you know, from you being a lawyer, I think that's a, a big deal to, to say mm-hmm. it. But I'm glad you're reformed. And um, totally, yeah, I'm on board with that. The, what, what I think the problem then becomes is, you know, especially when there are people with um, law qualifications who are trying to figure out what to do next, it can be really difficult to simplify, you know, fairly complex concepts. Um, there's a, a saying of, about how um, anybody can make something complicated, um, but it takes, you know, a real genius to make something easy. Yep. So um, part of that, I think, is also recognizing who is the right person for the job of doing the writing. Uh, it, it's not for everyone. Not everyone has the ability to take laws and complex concepts and turn them into something that a layperson can magically read over. So that part of the exercise has to be carefully thought over and who will be the best person for that job. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I think that, that there's room for um, sort of a collaborative process. So I think what you just said is spot on and I have never really thought of it that way. I love that quote. Um, But like, like I feel like I'm pretty good at it, but then I've Mm -hmm. got colleagues who are not lawyers who have been in the compliance space for a long time and they might look at something that I write and be like, you know what, I think we can make this a little simpler or easier to understand. And then, and then we have on our staff, a bunch of people actually who like didn't have any compliance experience before joining Mm -hmm. us. They came from marketing and advertising and social media and they know how to communicate in a totally different way. And so now, mm. you know, I and my compliance colleagues who are not lawyers, like we turn to them and they're like, you know what? We could say this in a much better way. And we all each other like, all right. And then it becomes something that's good. So I think mm. there's room for like having multiple, um, uh, you know, uh, multiple pens to paper, if you will, to get yeah. to that point of, of the simplification. Because as you said, it's yeah. not easy and, and not everybody's good at it. And I think I'm pretty good at it, but like my colleagues are frankly make me better, you know? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the few exceptions I'd make to the too many cooks in the kitchen issue, Mm. right? Like if everyone is aligned on how to make something less complicated, which usually is the problem with too many cooks in the kitchen, (laughs) um, then then it's going to work out really well. Yep, exactly. Yeah, if you you go into it knowing that like we all share that same goal. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's where that's where sometimes the lawyers, again, says the lawyer, um, mm. you know, that's where they trip up is that they don't yeah. have that goal. Um, and yeah. that needs to be the goal. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast. So we'll just fix <laughs> everything so. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts or comments from you, Andrea? Well, no, other than the, the fact that I've thoroughly enjoyed this. So thank Good. you very much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Me too. Um, and it was so nice to to, to chat. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so very much um, for the thought leadership and expertise. And um, I'm really sorry, dear listener, for the pings that were coming through. Um, As Andrea and I discussed, uh, I'm not very good with technology. I have no idea how to turn those alerts off. So forgive me for that. And uh, wishing you a wonderful life until next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Mm. How are you? Like now you've done like, so as you said, mm. we get all excited about this. It's the cornerstone mm. of our programs. They're beautiful. Mm. They can be right. Um, but like sort of then what? And so mm. I think that's, that's like the, the next logical step for people to be taking, which is that you can't be doing this in a, um, in a vacuum. Um, uh, you have to be thinking about sort of the ongoing, how this thing lives, you know, how, how it gets mm. out there and how, and how mm-hmm. it lives, lives. So that was it. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time and expertise. It was super interesting and um, I'm sure has got on many minds thinking about uh, their own policies and their own companies. So thank you. And we look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.